Hey there, welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. My name is Aaron Santamire, and I'm going to be your host. I want to thank you for continuing to listen in. But before we jump into the interview and the podcast today, I want to share some exciting news with you in case you haven't heard. The book I have written, entitled A Caring Life, How Each of Us Can Change the Trajectory of an Uncaring World, will launch on September 26th and will be available on Amazon. The book is filled with stories of life and service in Africa and lessons I've learned about caring. And it gives us opportunities to examine our life as we care for others and how we can impact this world um, through caring. You want to pick it up on September 26th? Well, let's jump into the podcast. Hey there, and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. And my name is Aaron Santemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we have the phenomenal opportunity to sit down with Thorne Wells, a friend of the podcast, as we continue this discussion, this two-part series on the white paper that her and Tanya Crossman worked on together. And uh, the organization that Lauren leads is the one that put the force behind this and wanted to see it happen. Just a phenomenal, as a scientist, you'll hear me say multiple times through these um, podcasts, uh, this two-part series. I'm just encouraged by the um, professionalism and the way that this was conducted and the rigor that it was academically. At the same time, they've taken that academic rigor and then they've applied it um, so it's practical for parents and for organizations to use the information. So they've disseminated it down and uh, just valuable and I, I appreciate it very much. And so we'll, you'll hear that I get the abbreviations mixed up, the pieces and the aces and the all the different acronyms, I think, uh, specifically in missions organizations, sometimes we seem to develop a lot of acronyms. But anyway, this is not dismissing organizations. This is something that can be used. And you'll hear that this is a conversation specifically around TCKs, but all of the principles could be applied to children or those growing up in, in another country, the United States, the UK, Australia, wherever you're listening in. Um, it could be equally applied to theirs because adverse childhood events and the, the positive side that that can occur in both places. And so it's, it's just a very valuable and encouraging conversation. I do want to ask you to continue to subscribe to the podcast. I know the ones that I subscribe to are the ones that I listen to. That way they're there every Monday morning and, and ready for my playlist for the week. And uh, do continue sending your questions for Back Channel of Foth. That's where we sit down with Dick Foth and, and get to learn from him. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to have our friend of the podcast, Lauren Wells, with us back today. Lauren, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much. Lauren, it's been uh, at least a few months since the last time you've been on the podcast, maybe even a year or close to a year. Would you just go ahead? There's been a lot as um, we follow you and uh, your ministry and the things that you're doing with TCKs. Could you maybe just catch the audience up to where you're at, what's going on and the exciting things that are going on? Yeah. Oh, man. Yes. A lot has changed um, in, in amazing ways. So a few of the big things are TCK training grew from we probably had four to six staff members the last time we talked and we have 16 now. So we have expanded. Uh, we're offering direct to family services a lot more frequently because we now have the staff to do that. So debriefing and coaching for parents and that sort of thing. Um, the other big thing that we've been working on, though, is our research. So we started our research survey a year ago, 
about a year ago exactly, um, closed that survey, ended up having 2,000 responses uh, by December of 2021. And so this year so far has been analyzing all of those responses and figuring out what do we do with all of this information. So that's been a a significant priority of this year. What what was the kind of the genesis or the idea of doing a, a survey? Well, this is something that I'd had on my heart for years. Um, I actually was about to start a PhD program and was going to start it with the premise of doing this research on third culture kids and developmental traumas and adverse childhood experiences. Um, So this is something that I had thought through a lot that I'd really wanted to do. And it was so, so much the Lord's directing um, that I said no to the PhD program and wrote a book instead. I had a lot of really great people in my life who said, you need to write the book and then eventually worry about getting more education. And so I wrote Raising Up a Generation of Healthy Third Culture Kids instead of going to get this PhD. And it's so amazing to see how the Lord still came back around and was like, okay, yes, you can still do this research. We're just going to do it in a different route and way than you had planned on. And I could not have done it as well as it was done um, with Tanya on my team. So Tanya Crossman, who I know is on the podcast, she came alongside me and was really excited about this research idea. And she was able to spearhead that in, in so many ways. One thing that I am always really intentional about is doing everything at a really high quality level. And especially when we're talking research, we want to make sure that the data that we're putting out there is legitimately gathered and we're following ethics procedures and all the things. Um, and I did not have the, the expertise that Tanya did to be able to make that happen well. So yeah, we, made a, yeah. we made a great team. Awesome. Awesome. And writing a book is like writing a PhD project anyway. I mean, the, the amount of time you put into your book, it's was definitely, yeah, it's a, you can get an honorary PhD for, for that, for sure. Um, anyway, well, hey, we're going to talk about the white paper and um, this, we, I did interview Tanya and we'll, we'll talk about that'll probably, I don't know if it's going to go before or after this one anyway, but we'll, we'll figure that out in the, in the days to come. But the white paper talked about ACEs and PCEs. And so, <laughs> So for people that don't know what those abbreviated acronyms mean, I know at least when the Assemblies of God, we got tons of acronyms. And um, well, so what does it, what is an ACE and what is a PCE? Yeah. So there are two sides of a coin. So the ACEs are the adverse childhood experiences and the PCEs are the positive childhood experiences. And the idea is that we have these adverse childhood experiences that may have happened in our childhood And the studies that they've done on these show that they really impact our health and adulthood behaviorally, emotionally, um, mentally, all of those different areas of our life are impacted by the things that happen in our developmental years. And so there's 10 adverse childhood experiences that they use for this, this research. And there's been over 80 studies now done on a score. So that was one reason we wanted to use that framework is it's already really well vetted, researched. There's a lot of information that we can compare to. And so there's 10 categories of ACE scores and your score is your number out of 10. So how many of these types of different experiences have you had in your childhood? 
And then the positive childhood experiences are what they found to be counteractive or protective factors that basically you can have adverse childhood experiences. And if you also have these positive childhood experiences, you can still have a healthy adulthood. Yeah. <laughs> and these positive childhood experiences can counteract the effects of the adverse childhood experiences. And so that was another reason that we chose the ACE and PEACE framework for our research was because there's also that correlating research on here's what you can do preventively. If you, if you can't prevent a lot of these ACE scores, and we know for TCKs, a lot of those things happen even when the parents are wonderful and have loving intentions, but it's their environment that maybe causes those ACE scores. And so to be able to say, even if you have them, there's also these pieces that you can do that make those things resilience building experiences, not uh, fragility building experiences. So positive. So is there a survey for those two? Or is that this something that is it is, is similar as the A scores? Is there the I think you said peace scores? Is I said PCE, but I guess it's is for those who know you it, maybe it's PCE. Oh, no, it's good. Um, no, it's good. Um, I'm learning. That's that's one thing I love about the podcast is learning. So is there a separate survey for those or are they considered within the AC, A scores or how does that work? Um, there is, but not done by us. So okay. we have not done a peace score survey yet. That is on our, on our radar for our next research. Sure. We were intentional about narrowing our focus for our original research and just looking at the ACE factors and the ACE scores. And so we didn't look at the PEACE scores on there, um, but there are seven of them. And it's everything from, did you feel physically safe in your home? Did you feel like you could talk openly about difficult feelings with your parents? Did you have a friend group that was consistent? Those sorts of questions. And you can look... um, online, there's a a great website that's called Aces to Paces. And that website has a survey that can be taken for the the peace scores as well. Very cool. So you're kind of known in the missionary world as the expert on the positive or the pieces, um, uh, the PCs. I'm sorry, I'm butchering it. But anyway, you're kind of known, well, you are known as the expert. So what are some of the reasons that you've, you've jumped into research and how is that helping guide you, the preventative care that you're so well known for? Yeah, it is put, um, it's put so much umph and data behind so many of the things that we've been teaching for so long. Um, it's helped us to narrow the focuses. Uh, for example, we found that the rates of emotional abuse and emotional neglect for TCKs of, of any kind, missionary kids, military kids, all of them um, were off the charts. For an American population, the average is about 12%. And for our TCKs, it's in the 40s and 50%. And so that's significant. We knew that emotional education was important, but seeing those numbers makes us go, wow, this is really, really important. Let's see how we can increase even what we've been doing in this area. Um, and it's also given us the ability to communicate to those who have the decision-making capabilities within organizations and churches to be able to, to say and communicate 
our TCKs, our missionary kids, they are a high risk population. So what these ACE scores show is that they have, so a 12% chance of uh, having a high ACE score is normal for the American population. Our TCKs um, are at about 21%. So 12 versus 21% of having high ACE scores. And anytime you're higher than the average, that makes you an at-risk population. And often we don't think about our TCKs as being an at-risk population, but we, we should be thinking about it that way. And then that causes us to apply more preventive care. Um, one thing that I know you and I have talked about before is just the importance of the practicality of preventive care of well, what do you actually do? So, yeah. okay, TCKs have high rates of emotional neglect. Okay, what do you do if you're a parent and you have that information in hand? And so a lot of our prevention methods just continue to, to reinforce and give really practical ideas of, well, here's some really simple things that you can do that will hopefully change your child's perspective from maybe these other kids who took this survey who didn't believe that they had these things. Sure. You mentioned uh, emotional education, I think. Um, what what does emotional education, I'm sure it's a big subject that we can't cover all today, but could you just kind of give like highlights? What is emotional education? And maybe that's a new term, um, terminology for those listening in. Yeah. So the basic idea is helping children navigate emotions without shutting them down um, and helping them to be able to identify when they're experiencing hard things. For our TCKs, they often um, report, the adult TCKs, for example, who took the survey, um, will, will report that they felt like they always needed to put on a happy face because their parents' finances depended on it or whether they stayed in their current location depended on it. And if they were showing or expressing difficult emotions, that would have negative consequences. And so what that does for them internally is it it basically starts tricking their body into thinking, okay, I, I can't trust that emotion. I need to put something different on my face than what I feel on the inside. And so then you start having kids who have a lot of stomach aches or who aren't sleeping well at night. And, and so that's the, the consequence of not having emotional education. The alternative, what we want to do is coach kids through, yeah, that's really hard. Or yeah, the fact that your friend just moved away and you don't know if you'll ever see them again, that's, that's devastating. That's really something to be sad about and to be sad for a long time. Like it's okay if you're still sad about this in a week and being willing to have those conversations and communicate those things. Um, and I think as parents, that takes us also being knowledgeable enough and comfortable enough or willing to be uncomfortable um, with having those conversations. That's what I was, that was going to be my next question. So is the emotional education, is that specifically for the TCKs or are the parents already involved in that? And you kind of answered that, but is the process similar for the parents um, to explore those emotions or how do the parents, how do they walk in that emotional education part? Yeah, for sure. One thing that we notice is that, TCKs often pick up the cues and the way that they deal with emotions from their parents. And so we often see, um, we often see that uh, crossing over as the same gender, which 
not always, but often it'll be the the daughter who acts similarly to the mother and the son who acts similarly to the father in regard to their response to emotion. Um, so for example, if I have a boy that I'm debriefing and every time we try to talk about hard things, he tells jokes or tries to be really funny and tries to, is trying to lighten the mood, right? And trying to, to turn the conversation positive. Um, I'll notice that his dad does the same thing. And so it's really the dad who needs the education on, we, we need to be able to have a serious conversation. And this is, this is something that is okay to talk about that we, we don't just flip it over to being funny. Like let's, let's talk about it. Cause it's obviously something that's really been challenging for your son or whatever. Um, and so having those conversations with the parents so that they can model better for the kids for sure. So we did the research, um, focus on uh, the positive, the preventative side. So from the research, were there some things that maybe you maybe reshaped or you changed a little bit or honed in or I don't know, uh, from the preventative side, once you saw the the research and that once the data points were there, were there anything that maybe, yeah, that you changed or adapted? Um, that's a really great question. One thing that we we did change and adapt um, that was a hard thing for us to figure out how to communicate well is we saw significant increases in all ACE scores and in all different developmental traumas, even apart from ACE scores, um, as mobility increased. So the more house moves, the more location moves, all all types of traumas and abuse and neglect situations just went up exponentially, um, an average of about 15%. So that was significant for us to see and to realize, wow, we, we can't deny that high mobility increases the risk. And so one thing that we started educating on um, for especially the organizations and companies that we work with is you need to be really thoughtful about how you are expecting and whether you're expecting families to move frequently mm -hmm. and what that looks like. Are there policies in place? Are you considering family health based on that? Because we, we do see that that's concerning. We would love to say, just apply preventive factors and you can move 20 times and it'll be just fine. But sometimes a preventive factor needs to be, let's see if we can take this down just, just a notch. Let's, yeah. let's see if we can get down below 15 moves. Let's see if we can get them to not be quite so mobile because we do see that that's a significant risk factor for TCKs. So is it the moving and the, maybe the instability that you think I'm asking you to draw conclusions and maybe I'm sure, I don't know the research, but anyway, well, I like to just ask the question. So is it the, is it the instability you think that a move comes or is it back to the positive things you talked about, about those friendships and the, the you listed a few and I forget them all, but the friendship ones stuck out. So I guess if you're moving from place to place, your friends theoretically would change because of that. So does the mobility you think affect also also the positive um, the positive scores too? For sure. So my best hypothesis, right? So this is there not exclusive right. from the data, but my For best sure. hypothesis, right, is that when you have high mobility, you increase the chances of having a scores um, because, for example, the ones in regard to emotional care 
parents are obviously really stressed out if they're moving a lot of times. And so maybe there's not that, that parental care, um, a parent's mental health. If that, that's one of the ACE scores that your parents, your parents struggled with their mental health and that negatively impacted you. Um, so that could be impacted by high mobility if the parent's not doing well. Um, similarly, we see that sexual abuse increased exponentially when there was high mobility. And so you might conclude or hypothesize that that's sure. because if you're in a community for a short period of time, it's easier if people get away with things yeah. with you if you're, if you're not going to be around very long. Um, and so we have higher chances of exposure to those ACE scores. Hmm. Simultaneously, we are taking away a lot of the opportunities for those peace scores that are would be the counteracting factors. And yeah. so those peace scores, um, for example, belonging in a multi-generational group who knows you and loves you. Hmm. Well, you don't really feel like you belong if you're not there for very long and you don't have history anywhere. Sure. Um, another one is having consistent adults who are not your parents who take a genuine interest in you. Again, it's hard to have those if you're constantly moving. Same with friend groups, um, even safety. We see that it's uh, common for children to feel insecure about their safety if they're not comfortable in their location, right? If you don't know what to expect and what's what's going on, um, who to call if you don't have a, a phone number, right? If you don't know, you can right. call 911 right. in this location or whatever. And so... I think with high mobility, the significant risk is that you've increased the likelihood of exposure to adverse experiences and you've decreased their ability to maintain positive childhood experiences. And so that opens them up to a, a, a lot of potential chaos. Sure. And that that's something that we have to, to look at. And again, not say, okay, so you need to not ever move. Like that's not the solution, but we do need to look at it and say, wow, you are at high risk and really need intentional preventive care um, to, to support your family through this. It's good. That's good. I could go 15 more questions on that one, but I won't, um, I won't, uh, I won't do that to you. So anyway, some engagement, I just, cause when I'm thinking, I, I won't ask you the question cause it'll put you on the spot. But the thing that once you talk about that, then I begin to think about like our moves at certain ages, are they more critical than others are? You know I mean? I think anecdotally that I think they are um, at the same time. I don't, I don't know if there's research to support that. And then you think, teenage years and young kids and the moves. And then you talked about the mobility. It's not just, you know, we lived in the same house, but we went back and forth for our generation. So you have, you're pulling your kids out of the school and then at that school. And that's, I assume would fall into the mobility part of it. And so there's just a lot of things when you really look into that, that, like I said, I could ask you a lot of questions about, but I won't put you on the spot on those. So anyway, some engagement points on per, the preventative side. What are you seeing right now? Um, we're living in turbulent times coming hopefully out of COVID. I've said that like 10 times and, and then it seems <laughs> to rear its head again. Um, turbulent times and wars and different things. Are, it just seems to be an unstable time and and so what are you seeing on the preventative side that you think, hey, this is really working and this is uh, a large part of our focus needs to be, to be on this? Yeah, well, what we are all about at TCK Training is helping people to be aware of how the hardships 
have impacted them and impacted their children if it's a if it's a parent and how they can thrive through that. And so that awareness piece of helping families to see what has happened in your children's lives, looking at the big picture, let's think about all of the losses, let's think about all of the hard things that have happened and how those have influenced how they see the world and how they cope with things and how they see their role in relationships. And once you start to kind of dissect and be aware of how those adverse experiences have affected you or your children, then you can start applying that preventive care of let's think about the the truths. A lot of a lot of times we develop really untruthful narratives about ourselves in the world. And so let's think about the truth-filled perspective, the biblical perspective. Let's think about healthy ways to cope with things. Um, one thing that we talk about a lot is if this version of you that's been developed by all these adverse experiences that's not coping with things in healthy ways that has all of these internal narratives that are really harmful that's not viewing yourself in relationships in a healthy way if that version continues for another 30 years what is that going to look like in marriage and your own child rearing and your what does that look like long term and is that who you is that who you're aiming for? Is that where where you want to get to? And if not, let's figure out how we can change that trajectory. And creating that awareness is is super important. And the the earlier that we as parents start to do that with our kids and visualize, we we use the the metaphor of the grief tower, which I've talked about on this podcast before. Um, but to be able to visualize, oh, that next hard thing, that's another block on their grief tower. It's yeah. not just a random thing. It's that's another block on their grief tower. And we need to take the time to process through that block instead of just going on with life and moving forward without taking a look at what that's done and impacted them. That's good. So can you just share, um, uh, you, we've talked about family debriefs and we've done podcasts and we talked about the grief tower just to, this there a minute. Could you just share what does it, cause people ask me frequently, what is, what acts exactly happened, um, in a debrief. And so I give them the Aaron Santamire version of it, but I think it'd be good to hear it from, from you again on what happens in a, a family debrief on the preventative side. Yeah. So our debriefs, um, we like to phrase it that we're looking back in order to move forward. Um, some debrief methodologies just focus on the past. We are all about how do we process the past, but then use that to move forward as a family in healthier ways. And so a lot of what we're doing um, is emotional education. So we start with emotional education because we can't ask them how they felt about something or have them process the grief of something if we haven't started with a foundation of emotion words and the things that we, um, we teach there. So we start with emotional education. Um, but the, the bulk of our time is on writing out what, again, we call the grief tower. And so mapping out all of the hardships that have happened in the TCK's life. And we do that for each child individually. And then we do that for the family as a whole. And so we map out this, move and these friends who moved away and this medical crisis and this thing happened after that. And so we lay it all out. And then we spend time 
processing through those and asking those questions of what did you start to believe about the world because of that? What did you start to believe about people and relationships? How did you cope with that? How did you deal with that? Um, so we, we start to kind of dissect each of those blocks and process through each of those blocks and then talk about, okay, so how do we want to, how do we move forward from this? Um, the other thing that all of our debriefers are trained to do is to look at the family dynamics and look at how siblings are interacting with each other and parents are interacting with their kids and looking for ways that they might be able to increase the emotional health of their family, increase the conversational and communicational health of their family. So that, again, we hope that after the debrief, they have so many practical tools that they can use so that they have these conversations and they're unstacking their grief tower as they go from there on out, instead of having to have a, another debrief where they haven't thought about the grief tower for years and now it's built up again. We want them to be able to do that uh, along the way. I think one of the most valuable things, I have another question on the debrief, but one of the most valuable tools you gave us was just the language to use to talk about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that's, there were a lot of valuable tools in the process, but just having the a language and an agreed upon and common language between every person in the family, I think that was, I think, one of the biggest takeaways for us because it gave us a, you know, a common language that we could talk about it. And we all do what had a similar idea of what we were talking about when we were talking about it. The next question I get frequently is how long does this take and how do you, how does it work via Zoom? Yeah. So our debrief is, officially a two-day debrief. So we want you, whether we're doing it in person with you or whether you're doing it on your end of the world and we're just facilitating virtually, um, we want you to spend a full two days doing the debrief. Um, we, we ask constantly, please do not schedule anything else during those two <laughs> days. Um, you would be so surprised at how many times they talk about how they're going to go out to dinner with friends that night or, or whatever. And we communicate, well, we're, we're about to open Pandora's box of all the hard things your family's ever experienced. <laughs> probably don't want to have to have a meaningful conversation with people tonight, but, yeah. um, but yeah, so two days, a full two days when we're facilitating it virtually, we meet with the parents, um, in the morning and then, or, night before their time, depending on time zones. And then they facilitate with their children the two days of the debrief. And we touch base uh, three to four times during those two days. Uh, if you have teenagers, we also talk directly with the teenagers. So each teenager gets uh, a few sessions with our caregiver to do some debriefing um, as well. It's good. We, yeah, in person, we're, we're there for the entire two days facilitating everything, but virtually we just give them the skills to do that. Awesome. So next question I have for you is about aunties and uncles. Um, commonly in the, the, the missionary world, I don't know if all TCKs call, if in the business world, in the military world, I don't know if they call them aunties and uncles also, but in the missionary world, that seems to be the terminology. Don't have children at home anymore. Maybe they did. Maybe they, they have never. But how can they help TCKs and families look for these positive, positive opportunities, the preventative side, and how can they help them stay healthy and whole? Do you have any insight for them? Yes. I cannot stress the importance of those people in the lives of TCKs. 
Um, first and foremost, one of the positive childhood experiences that I mentioned was having non-parent adult relationships. And so just by being in their life and taking a genuine interest in the child, the auntie and uncle is contributing to those positive childhood experiences. The other thing that we see uh, those people are great for is doing what we call green zone methods. So things that decrease the stress of the TCK. Stress decreasing often comes in the form of laughter and play and good conversations and those sorts of things. And it's often the aunties and uncles that can facilitate that really well. Um, the other thing that we really love to do is to equip those people with good processing and question asking skills so that they can have those those conversations with TCKs that really help the TCKs to unstack that grief tower. And it gives them the chance to be able to facilitate that informally by simply saying, wow, that was really hard. Can you tell me what made that so hard? Wow. How are you coping with that? Are you going for lots of walks? Maybe they say, nope, I'm eating lots of candy. Okay. Well, <laughs> you think that <laughs> let's think about maybe a healthier way to do that. But for an auntie or uncle to even facilitate, essentially you're facilitating informal debriefing is what you're doing. Yeah. Um, but that can be a really powerful thing for TCKs to have. So do, do aunties and uncles, is there, should they read the book? What, what are, how will they find the resources? Maybe if this doesn't come naturally to them, um, or maybe they would like to grow in this area, what are the resources you maybe would point them to or some yeah, question banks? You just mentioned some questions. Uh, just some resources for them. Yeah. So we, um, the Grief Tower book would be a good place to start. That's available on Amazon and Kindle. And it will be available as an audiobook in about oh, very a week, cool. very which cool. is exciting. Yeah. Um, so that's that would be a great resource. Um, but the other thing that we have is we did a workshop oof, maybe a year and a half ago. So the recording is available and it's called Caring for TCKs When You're Not the Parent. And that would be a great one to listen through. I think it's only an hour, so it's not a it's not a long training. Um, but that has a lot of those great ideas for how to be a supportive adult relationship in their life. You shared about mobility, and this is moving more towards an organizational question, organizational leadership question. So you mentioned that, you know, to consider when moving families that organizations should consider that. Is there another piece of knowledge, wisdom that you've come through, maybe from this study or just from the years you've been doing this. I've talked about mobility. Is there another piece that you think, man, that's that's really valuable for, for organizations to consider as families live out their life overseas? One thing that we see um, a lot is lack of attachment between the child and a parent. Um, usually not both parents, but often one parent. Uh, and that tends to come from one parent traveling a lot. And that often happens in our field yeah, where we sure. have one parent who's doing a lot of the ministry work, um, the formal ministry work. And the, the other parent is maybe home with the children or doing some other job. But one tends to travel a lot. And so one thing that we have been teaching organizations is what healthy attachment building looks like. And also uh, there's a really 
great, well-researched chart on the age of children and how long they should be away from a caregiver before it impacts attachment. And so looking at that chart and looking at, okay, so if your child is one to three years old, you shouldn't be gone for longer than three weeks. So an organization should be careful to not require that the father goes away for longer than three weeks, knowing that that can impact attachment with that, that parent. And so that's something that we uh, have been teaching organizations. That's something they often are surprised by and have not considered. And the great thing about the chart is it's not unreasonable. The, the lengths of time are not unreasonable um, but it's good to have a, a standard to be able to say, yeah, we we don't recommend that the father take this six week trip when he has an 18 month old at home or whatever it is. Um, and just thinking through those things that maybe organizational leadership hasn't given thought to in the past in regard to healthy TCKs. It's good. Good. Is there a question that you think that I should have asked you that I didn't or something you think, man, I wish Aaron was going to ask me that question and he didn't. Is there anything you can think of? Yeah. I can't think of anything. We covered a lot of ground. Uh, we covered a little bit of territory. So that's good. So I'll ask you one more question then. What are you, as you look to the future, what are you excited about? Oh, so many things. Um, I am really excited about the audiobook. You mentioned that. The audiobook. I am really excited about the audiobook that comes out. That's been asked for a lot. The other thing that I'm really excited about is we have a team that started working on a Mandarin translation of the grief tower. Um, So that's really exciting. Another exciting thing is that we have a similar team in Asia who's working on creating our debrief materials from an Asian cultural perspective. And so reworking those to make sense when you're coming from that that cultural background. Um, So we're looking at doing similar things with, with Spanish and that South American, Central American cultural perspective. So that's really exciting because it is different when you're coming from a non-Western point of view. For sure. For sure. Lauren, it's always a joy to spend time with you. Just excited to get this out. Will you pray for us today? Whatever direction you'd like to take it, people will take the information, the resources that you've, developed and we'll put them into action we won't just think about them and consider them and uh, know that they're there but we'll actually follow through with uh, the the work that you've put in for our healthy tck's will you pray for us oh i would love to god thank you so much for this time god thank you that you love and care for tck's that you want them to be healthy that you want them to know who they are in you that you want to use those adverse experiences and those traumas that they may have had. You want to use those to help them to be healthy, empathetic, compassionate individuals. And I pray that you would give us wisdom as we parent them, as we lead them, as we care for each other, as we make decisions that you would help us to discern what is best, what's going to be healthy, what's going to be um, effective God, I pray that you'd help us to be good models for our children, that these conversations around emotions and coping skills and internal narratives aren't just things that we're verbally saying, but things that we're showing them. And I pray that you would give us the humility to work on those things ourselves and to 
um, be able to be a good model to our children. Thank you so much for this time and this podcast. We love you, Lord, in your name. Amen. Amen. 